Macworld Podcast number 364 for Wednesday, July 17th, 2013. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm senior editor Dan Morin, and I'm joined this week by senior writer Lex Friedman. Hi, Lex. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm excellent. Thank you. Well, the heat of summer is upon us, and it's, uh, it's kind of a slow time for Apple news and technology news in general. I think a lot of people go on vacation. Why we're not on vacation, I don't know. It's a great question. Uh, but I thought this week we'd, uh, we'd do something a little bit different and take a look at some of the, uh, the news that is floating around uh, this week and, and discuss it. Um, Lex, in particular, I know you were interested in talking about Apple earlier this week released a new version of Logic, their professional-level digital audio editor. Uh, and I know that uh, you and some of our other contributors had some thoughts on what's uh, a little bit of a departure for them in terms of pricing. Well, let me, let me give you the scoop here, Dan, in case you didn't know. So Apple releases Logic Pro 10. It's priced at $199, available in the App Store. And if you, had a previous, if you previously owned a version of Logic Pro, you get to pay an upgrade price of $199 in the App Store, uh, which is to say there is no upgrade pricing. It's the same price no matter what. And um, I don't love that. Uh, our <laughs> contributor, Marco Tabini, wrote a, a, a very nice op-ed about this that we ran earlier in the week. And his argument was basically, uh, yeah, Apple is kind of killing paid upgrades. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting away from, you know, the, the discount upgrade pricing. And they're saying, you know, if you want to have a new version of an app, you'll pay the full price. And he, he made several arguments why that was good and a couple arguments why it was bad. I was more swayed by his arguments on why it was bad. Well, this is in some ways nothing new. I mean, we've had the App Store on iOS now for five years, as you might recall, and it's this has been the case that it's been this has been the case for that since day one, right? If you release a new version of an app, you basically have two choices. One is you release it as a totally separate app, um, which requires people to buy it again if they've bought it before, or I mean, presumably they can stick with the older version until it stops working, right? Or you run, or you release it as a free upgrade, which is the vast majority of apps do that now, where it's just you know you've you've got whatever app installed on your iPhone, um, and you just hit update, and it gives you a new version. Now, when the Mac App Store came out, it's pretty much the same thing. So, what to your mind is makes this particularly stand out? I think it's probably the cost of the app. You know, it's it's this is not a cheap app. This is a big official Apple app, and Apple is a a big official company with a ton of money. Um, and honestly, I'm okay with developers charging again for their work. I'm not saying that developers should make all their updates free. I think that's a terrible mistake and and won't work well long term. But I'm thinking, you know, um, when you think about something like. Uh, Tweety. Tweety is the first app that I can remember where it was an iOS app and uh, it became Twitter official app over time. But so when Tweety 1.0 was out, it was great. And then when when, uh, when they released Tweety 2, it was a Lauren Brichter released it as a standalone app. You couldn't cross grade. You just had to buy it. And so some people were outraged. But for me, that didn't bug me because it was, I don't remember exactly, but 2 or $3, not a big deal. Uh, but the thing that you see mac developers doing or any you know higher priced app developers doing these days is trying to work within the lousy confines of their respective app stores since they can't do upgrade pricing they're trying to do upgrade pricing for everyone for a couple of weeks when a new version of their app comes out i know panic's done that and i know uh uh other developers whose names I can't think of have done that but it's it's not an uncommon thing you know we've got our new version of our app and it's it's you know 
$70 now if you buy it in the first couple of weeks. And after that, it's going to be up to $170 or $120 or whatever it is. I like that. Uh, I like that as a stopgap measure while we wait for Apple to introduce some means of developers offering upgrade pricing more easily. And I take this Apple release as an indication that, no, they're not going to be releasing something better. Apple is quite content with the status quo. So do we think that going forward, updates to Logic Pro are basically just going to be free until they decide, you know, five years down the road to release a new fully revamped version that will be back to free price? That's, full price? that's what I would think, yes. I don't know how many years that that number of years is, but I would imagine that until Logic Pro XI comes out, um, <laughs> there uh, we'll, we'll get the free updates. And I will say there's one other piece to this, which is that it's, it is maybe a mistake to look at Apple's pricing as a lesson for the rest of the industry, uh, which I say because uh, I would say that iOS is probably the best app on the iPhone. <laughs> iOS in general, you know, the, the entity of the operating system is a very impressive and surely pricey bit of R&D and engineering and development. And as you may know, Apple gives that away for free. Uh, and yet not not uh, OS ten, which we've seen get steadily cheaper as the years have gone by. Almost and I know some ridiculously people, cheap at this right, point. Some people suspect that maybe the next major version, uh, Mavericks, when it gets released this fall, might be free. Do we can we read anything in the tea leaves of uh, the Logic Pro announcement to to sort of suss out whether that might be the case? It's a good question. I don't know. I I honestly can't imagine that Apple would make it free, only because. Apple's a business, and they can make a ton of money selling it. <laughs> but you really think they make that? I mean, last time around, it was, what, like 20 bucks? Right, but I'm saying if it's 20 bucks times, and they always crow about, you know, we've had 2 million people install in the first weekend. If 20 times a couple million people, you're talking about real money. Even if they made a 10, it just seems to me like that's some money is better than no money. <laughs> That is, uh, you know, that is a that is quite the business axiom. There. Well, you know, I I, I do consider myself an entrepreneur in some ways. <laughs> well, I, it's interesting. I mean, from my perspective, I can also see why they'd want to make it free because it's the kind of thing that hastens adoption, especially for developers who are looking to use some of the new features that might be available in Mavericks. It really convinces people to upgrade. I mean, I know lots of people who are either still on Snow Leopard or, in some cases, Leopard, um, or you know, well, you know, lots of weirdos. Then I do. It's it's a very strange group of people. But but I, I know some people who've upgraded only recently to like oh you know it's finally time i'll upgrade to lion i'm like you realize mountain lion's been out for like a year right? and they're like oh oh well i guess i'll upgrade to that then um but it's, sometimes there's a lot of people who don't bother to upgrade their their operating systems it seems like sure um and i think you're so, right the price pays if plays a factor i do think if if mavericks is out of ten dollars that increases by yet another factor it gets a whole new class of cheap people well, then we'll just have to assume that the next update that comes down next year will be free right. because the pattern seems to be trending that way it's the same pattern as, as kindle price where eventually it looks like Kindles will be free too. But yeah, I, I, I can understand. It, it Certainly, if Apple's going to give away iOS, there is a compelling argument to be made that it could give away the Mac OS as well. Right. Well, I, I'm kind of intrigued to see what they do with some of their other apps because it does seem like their, their apps in general, both on iOS and Mac, are, are really... It's not exactly gravy, right? But it, it is not their main revenue stream, right? Most of the money they're making these days still comes from hardware, especially in the iPhone and iPad slices of the market. So a lot of the software, especially the like the things that are not included, you know, like not like system stuff, but like iWork and iMovie, you know, a lot of these things, it seems like the trend is moving more and more towards these are things that we, you know, want to give away because we think it makes our platform more compelling to have these as options that you don't have to go out and buy and i know there have been some rumors about iwork as a suite going free on the mac and possibly on ios 
Um, and, and to me, there, there's a certain amount of sense to that because it does say, all right, look, you've got a fully functional computer here. You can read you know, Microsoft Office documents right off the bat. You don't have to invest in any extra software. And it could potentially move people onto some of those iWorks we, you know, off, uh, apps for at least some of their personal usage, if not all their business usage. And I think there, there is a compelling argument to free that doesn't even exist even if your app is only you know, five bucks. Like, there is a compelling argument to make that free if you're Apple. Yeah. I, I know just what you mean. It's, I, uh, Apple, like you say, makes its money on hardware, and it can keep making its software cheaper and potentially free. Um, I, and Apple wants developers to make their apps cheap, right? Because customers want cheap apps, and Apple wants customers to be happy and say, hey, I'm going to buy an iPhone because look how cheap all these apps are. Um, I don't know. It all, all it makes me nervous because developers can't compete with free. And I know the developers already here. You know, if Mountain Lion was only twenty bucks, why is your app fifteen? Are you saying your app is just about as good as Mountain Lion? And yeah, that's trouble. It does. It changes the price valuation for software. And this is certainly a conversation we've had a lot, especially since the App Store debuted. Where it's well, what is the value of these bits that you're putting onto your device? You know, especially when so many people charge a dollar or free for an application that, you know, I mean, in the latter case, you're often dealing with ads, which is a totally separate game. Um, and speaking of ads, I thought that I'd use that as a little segue into a, uh, a rumor I wrote about uh, yesterday, uh, sorry, Tuesday, just for those of you who are timing in on the timeless medium of podcasting, <laughs> um, about a, a, a report from uh, Jessica Lesson, who's a former Wall Street Journal reporter, in which she wrote about Apple trying to pitch this idea of ads skipping to uh, the television networks. Obviously, we've heard a lot of rumors about Apple trying to get into this television market, whether that means building a television or simply offering more and more content through the Apple TV. Um, and I, I thought this was a particularly interesting article because it talked a little bit about what you know, some of the concessions they're sort of willing to make. Uh, in order to get the television providers to sign up with them. Um, and we, we were talking about ads and price valuations. And I think it's, it's a particularly Apple move to sort of say, well, we're going we're gonna to provide this sort of stopgap measure where it's uh, our proposition to you, the television networks, is we're going to let people skip ads because people are used to being able to skip ads or dealing with content that doesn't have ads like on Netflix and the like. But we'll pay you for the ads they skip some amount. Um, to me, that seems like a very Apple-like move. Like, all right, we're just going to – we got all this money. We're going to use some of that to sort of, you know, assuage your concerns while we're doing what we want to do. I don't know if you have a particular thought about that, Lex. I, I think I can believe that Apple would want to get into the business of letting people skip ads if Apple showed television. But I, I don't know. I have a hard time accepting that Apple would say, I want to show – tv that has commercials in the first place <laughs> you know i don't think of apple as saying you know let's let's dive deep into this space of showing broadcast television with well commercials i mean in it. there's a compelling argument to that because even though more and more stuff is available streaming um there are a lot of cases which a your streaming situation has ads right like hulu right um or you're talking about you know there's certainly compelling arguments for live events a lot of which make a lot of money off ads. I mean, like, if they were to have the option to somehow stream, you know, the Super Bowl or let you watch, like, you know, consume the Super Bowl if you authenticate with your own cable provider, it doesn't seem like they could get away with just, like, showing it without ads, right? Because, right. you know, the Super Bowl ads are a big deal. Those are very expensive ads. 
Right, exactly. And people are paying a lot of money. And that, and that's kind of the established medium, too, because all of these ratings are dependent. You know, they help set the prices for the ads. The ads help fund the TV networks. There's already a, a system in play there. And, well, I agree with you that I think that system may be not, you know, super long for this world. It also does seem like it's pretty entrenched, and there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of buy-in from the television providers to keep things the way they are. Right. I, and I, I don't know. To me, when the television providers want to keep things the way they are, they want to do it because they don't want to skip those ads. I, I, even if, I, I, I still feel like it's weird for Apple to say, hey, buy our product. It will let you skip commercials. That doesn't feel like a very Apple-ish thing to do, especially given that Apple is also somebody who advertises and wants people to watch its ads. I can't see it as super compelling to the TV people. Uh, I can't see this something that's super compelling to the TV people because they, um, you know, they're thinking oh, we want to keep people watching TV because of those ads and not despite them. I, I don't know. I, I read your piece and I think you, it, everyone should, but I, I, I don't know. I, uh, to me, the whole thing seems weird. I can't imagine that Apple would want to do it. I can't imagine the TV companies would want to do it. Well, the analogy I make, and I think this is it's interesting to look at it from this angle, is that it reminds me a little bit of what I, Apple did with iTunes Match, where they said, all right, you, you, you as a consumer will pay a flat fee, $25 per year, um, and you get essentially, among all the other features of iTunes Match, if you have things in your library um, that are in our catalog, they get matched, and you essentially get a pristine digital copy of you know of of music that you own now you didn't have to originally buy that music from itunes and in fact you didn't have to buy it at all really i mean if you happen to have a library that was full of tracks that you acquired through less than licit means um you could still end up with brand new digital copies of those things and 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 to our earlier point you know the record companies and granted they're they were in a lot worse state than the television networks are right now uh the record companies went along with this because at twenty five dollars a year per customer you know that's money they weren't going to see otherwise right and as we said a little bit of money still better than no money right so i don't know that the television networks are, are that desperate yet but it does seem like the ground is shifting underneath them right now and and there is going to be a change one way or the other i agree i think apple would prefer not to do it in the form of ads but I don't know that it has a compelling enough argument to get the networks to sign on at all right now. Honestly, if Apple does anything that involves the potential ability to channel surf, my number one hope for an innovation from Cupertino is a remote with more buttons. (laughs) You don't like that nice little Apple TV remote with its very simple layout? I, I hate it. I hate how often I lose it. And I don't especially like using the iOS remote app either. It's just me. I, I think it's handy for things like entering my, uh, you know, username. Oh, yeah, sure. If I have to type in a password or something, I'm happy to have it. But most of the time, I'm a two-screener, you know, so I've got my phone and I'm using it. And now if I want to pause TV, I've got a I've either – I'm either – I have to swipe to unlock and enter my passcode and find the right app again and hit, then hit right. pause. Or I've got to interrupt a very important game of Tiny Wings, and like, there's no good solution there. Yeah, well, I mean, there's certainly interesting ideas where they could they could work a little harder to integrate those two things. But I agree, I have a a Logitech Harmony remote which is set up to work with my Apple TV, and that is definitely a lot better experience because yeah. it lets me say control multiple things with with one device. Well, speaking of controlling things, I'm, indeed, I you know uh, Apple 
still wants to have control over iOS. You don't get to pick what your default email app is or your default web browser or anything like that. You're going to get what Apple gives you, which in those cases are Mail and Safari. But if I'm reading a story you wrote Wednesday correctly, Google is doing what little it can to change that if you're a Google app devotee. Yeah, they released an update to Chrome for iOS, and this was hot on the heels of an update to Google Maps. Um, but the the most interesting thing in Chrome to me was that they added this ability to say, if you go and visit one of a specific number of Google services, in this case, I believe it's Google Maps, YouTube, Google Plus, and Google Drive, if you go to any of those services in uh, in Chrome or open a link to one of them, it will open the respective native app if you have it installed, and you can choose to have it have that sort of override in place or not on an individual app-by-app -app basis. Now, I, I think that's interesting because Google has been increasingly trying to make this play of having their own sort of what I dubbed a micro-ecosystem inside iOS, right? They've built all these little apps, and now the apps all talk to each other. So it's not entirely avoidable that, say, you might at some point open a uh, an app, or sorry, open a link that opens in Safari or be prompted to write an email in Mail, um, but if you live almost exclusively or largely in the Google apps, you can, to a certain extent, uh, persist, you know, with just the Google apps, which is which is interesting to me because it's not like Google's, you know, necessarily being like, hey, come use Android instead because we've got all these nifty things over there. It's more like, well, we got to exist on iOS, but, you know, for those people who aren't happy with the default options, we can sort of offer this alternative set of apps that sort of replaces that experience. And, you know, I, you've made the point, I think maybe, uh, I, I, many have made the point, let's say, that Google <laughs> probably makes more money from iOS than it does from Android. Yeah, well, that seems to be the, the numbers that we, I don't have the exact figures, but I, I know that's a, a figure that gets bandied about a lot. They certainly make a, a lot of money from ads right. on iOS because they have a lot of places where ads are used, both in apps and in uh, you know web ads and that kind of stuff. And, and there are a lot of iOS users, and they tend to be, uh, according to the numbers that are out there, more engaged and more willing to use, both both more willing to, say, browse the web on their iOS device instead of on an Android device, right. um, as well as more willing to fork over money when it comes to <laughs> buying apps, say. Um, so there is, iOS is certainly a pretty significant revenue stream for them, I would guess. Right. Uh, and, yes. you know, what I think is, and I, so, I mean, I totally understand what Google's doing. I think it makes a ton of sense. I honestly think it's disappointing that Google has to do this. I mean, I, I, to me, Apple doesn't really care, in my mind, if you use Apple's apps or not. Apple wants you to buy an iPhone and be happy and be a longtime iPhone or iPad customer. Right. And given that, uh, certainly Apple thinks that its apps are the best, and it wants you to use Apple Mail, and it wants you to use Safari and whatever else. But... It doesn't care, just like it doesn't care on the Mac. Apple's never going to say you can no longer choose a third-party app as a default app for mail or IM or web browsing or whatever on the Mac. They're going to let you change it, and they should let you change it on iOS. It doesn't have to. It doesn't make anything more confusing since it's got to be a user configurable setting. And well, Google should I, I have think to that hustle. some people. I think that some people are scared that that Apple might do that on OS X. In the same way they've talked about, well, more and more iOS stuff coming to OS X, and they'll lock it down more and more, and I won't be able to do all these things I used to be able to do. Um, I, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think they'll take that away. But there are certainly people who are afraid that that might be the case someday. I, I think it comes back more to what you said about Apple thinking its apps are the best. I, I think it really believes 
in the same reason it does so much of what it does that it provides a better experience and maybe you haven't really tried it come on try me right like there's a, there's an element of uh we know what's best for you and some people really don't like that about apple but it's also kind of the way that they do business and so i understand that that's why they do it you're right at a bottom line level it doesn't really matter other than if they're worried that some other apps will put their, you know, worst foot forward and you'll be like, well, why did you let me assign this stupid mail app to my default mail, right? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, people, because people blame them for stupid things, just like people blame any technology company for things that are outside their control. I mean, I, I don't know. I would like to see this option as well. I don't necessarily, I use all the default apps and I'm very happy with them. Um, I don't run into problems as much, but I certainly know people you who use are. use all the default apps? Uh, like stocks, weather. No, I, no, no. I, I mean, like you don't you don't use Fantastical. I do from a, from time to time, but I also find myself using Calendar. I'm just I'm not a devotee of a particular app in that realm, but I do use the built-in apps a lot. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I, and I and. I would say I'm in the minority, but I think I'm clearly in the majority. <laughs> like, not necessarily among a lot of the people we know who tend to be the more tech-savvy people, but I would guess, you know, some high percentage of iOS users stick with the default apps and never change them, right? I would because bet that they're the there. number one replaced app or, that you know, the, the Apple default app that doesn't get used right now is Maps. I would bet that I, – I predict that that's, that's people a solid, who use Maps – That is a solid guess. Yeah. I think that if people who use Maps, the majority – may have switched to Google Maps. Maybe that number is crazy, but I think if people who use Maps, let's say, multiple times per week, that, that more than half have switched to Google. That's yeah, a lot of people certainly switch back after iOS 6 and right. after Google Maps became available. Uh, I know a lot of people because they really got frustrated with Apple Maps. But you're, I think you're right about that. Um, and, and, of course, you're still you know, stuck with the fact that if you try to open a direction in, say, your contacts, your address book or something like that, right, it opens in, in iOS maps, not Google maps. Um, will Apple ever give the option to say, I want to open this, like, in, directly in Google maps? There are workarounds that you can do, obviously, we've discussed. But it's it's still kind of, I think maps might be a particularly source more, a source spot because there are a lot of things in terms of their location database and reviews and and that kind sure. of like ecosystem stuff that I think there is a vested interest for Apple in being in, having their their stake in the ground there. And that's also uh, where everything gets more complicated too, right? If you think about mail, if you want to have a separate default mail app, I use Mailbox. But when I tap on a, a link inside an app to send a message, it brings up that email sheet that's really the mail app sort of tightly ensconced by the the calling app and so if you can choose a different third-party app does that mean that apple has to also have a way for third-party developers right. to wrap those sheets to create their versions of those sheets or does do you pick a third-party app but you still see the apple internal stuff well so my here's my question for you i mean i do you have uh, and this might be getting technical but do you have like accounts configured in mail anyways because you need to do that sometimes or do you just have to like every time you're frustrated and get rid of that sheet and then like go over to your mail app and like copy and paste stuff i leave everything in mail and you know so in fact my phone fetches my email twice every time and so does my ipad um, must be great for your data plan right well i don't use you know i have mail's notifications turned off but everything's there too because if i need to check it there for some reason i need to check it there and i also find you know that neither of those two apps is great at searching uh for older mail that is no longer sure. in the app's memory so when i want to find an old message since i use gmail then i fire up the gmail app and i search for it there so i got my mail coming to three different places um 
And it's, yeah, it, there is room for improvement in these things, Dan. That's what I would Oh, think. sure. And I think that's the biggest argument for Apple opening this up is that competition is good. And anytime that you're sort of stuck with, hey, this is my only option because it was dictated to me that this be my only option, that there's, you know, it's too easy for that developer to sort of sit back on their heels and go, okay, well, we've got this market locked up, right? Nobody's, even if some, you know, small percentage of people switch to an alternative mail app, well, you know, they're still going to be, a lot of people who stick with the default because it's just easier, right? Like it's, you don't have to deal with these complications. Right. Um, but, you know, there's an argument, there's a strong argument in favor of if you open that up, that means that not only are there, you know, you're, you got to get hungry again, right? You got to be willing to do things that are going to push the envelope, sorry, uh, for your mail app. <laughs> um, and, and envelope would be a great name for a mail app, by the way. Um, I, I think that it's good for... It's good for Apple to feel like they've got to keep innovating, right, and and responding to what other people are doing. Exactly, and really, what you're what you're hinting at, maybe not even intentionally, but what uh, the only excuse I can come up with for why don't you make a, the option to add other default apps is fear that people will. And I don't like that. I don't like Apple I, operating from a period of uh, a place of being chicken. I, I don't know if that's true. Um, I still think I that there's no. Okay. <laughs> I I think that there's still a lot of you know a lot of uh, support for the idea that they really just think their thing is the best, and they don't see why anyone else would use a different app. I mean, I think it's if you got to a position where. You know, someone uh, high up in the Apple executive team was getting frustrated because they mail wouldn't do something, and you know they were using Mailbox, right? Like that would probably change the equation quite a bit, Um, because at the very least it would end up with that same sort of well, we have to improve mail in order to be competitive with this. But you know, there are if there was more people, if there were more people in in that position of influence that were switching to something else because it, you know mail was insufficient that would that would make a strong argument for that but i i don't know i mean i think you're right that a lot of it is the technological complications do you have to have mail sheets do you, what about if you have you know a mail option in your like your share sheet do you have to like be able to say open in some other mail app or i i think that's part of it is that they're it's just it's just more complicated right i think that's true that there is some com- complexity to it but when you look at how it works on the Mac today, I think it's a pretty good indication of how they could make it work pretty acceptably. Like, I think, yes, people would still find ways to complain if I could pick mailboxes, my default mail app, so that anytime I clicked on an email, tapped on an email address, mailbox would launch. And if that still meant that when apps embedded their own little emailing thing that it used mail, that might be disappointing and a new thing for me to complain about, but it's much less annoying than the fact that every time I tap on an email link, I'm in an app I don't want to be in. Well, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm interested that Google has done this kind of thing because I believe that it is, uh, you know, it's beneficial for both Google and it it is a, I don't want to say a threat to Apple, but it's it's something, it's sort of a poke in the eye to Apple, right? Like, you know, if you want to replace all your default apps with these Google apps now, you, you have that ability. And while you'll still run into those issues like you're talking about where, you know, sometimes you'll end up with an inside an app you don't want to be in. Uh, it's still pretty powerful for for Google to have. It has replacements for Mail, Safari, Maps. Like you know, that that's pretty significant, right? Those are three major apps that that iOS really centers around. And so, to me, that's a pretty significant shot across the bow of Apple. So I'm I'm curious to see if they'll just sort of ignore it and, and hope it goes away. Or if they'll feel like, well, you know, I, I think that the, the best alternative is, like you're saying, like, rather than ignoring it, 
or doing something that makes it harder for Google to do this kind of thing, it should re- they should really say, you know what? Come on, like bring it. Like let's let's open this ability right. up let's to have everybody. This yeah, like I think that that is valuable for consumers, and I can see why Apple would be concerned about doing that. But I, I think that's the best response in this case. Is like you know if it is a, a place of fear, like. Let's just you know turn and confront your fear head on, That's right. and I think something something good will come of it. And I just want to say you know thank you to Google. I think it's very cool that they're doing this. I like that they're passionate about making good and competitive apps on iOS. And I also think there's something interesting in the fact that Google's making all of these standalone apps for iOS, and virtually no, with you know a couple of tiny exceptions, virtually no desktop apps for the Mac to compete. Apple's content to let Apple. I mean, Google's content to let Apple own mail and i can't imagine there's going to be a desktop version of google maps that competes with the apple maps app coming in mavericks well sure they, they live on the web right, right. so, and, so on it's the interesting mac side, they think that sense. the web is good enough on the mac but that the web is just not good enough on ios i would tend to agree with them but it's interesting that google thinks the same thing well i agree lex are there are there any other topics you want to touch upon from this the only other what thing is, was apparently a fairly busy week and despite my my right? off comments i didn't even disagree, i didn't even agree with your leading when you said that i was thinking <laughs> man we have so much to talk about today the only other thing i think we should mention is to check out dan's other podcast in our mac world pc world tech hive empire which launched kind of recently with jason snell called clockwise so make sure you go to tech hive and look for the clock wise podcast because it's pretty fun the first episode especially since it features special guest senior writer lex friedman that guy he's everywhere love that guy well yeah we're looking to put put out a new uh a new episode of clockwise pretty much every week so uh, and it's short it's intended to be sort of bite-sized it's a half an hour or less and uh we think you can enjoy that while you're on your commute or even just sitting around washing dishes or whatever it is you do when you're listening to podcasts. So it's not like an hour and a half investment. I do my neighbor's dishes while I listen to podcasts. That's, that's very generous of you. Would you like to come over and do mine? Nah. But it's been a pleasure right. talking to you, Dan. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Lex Friedman. Thanks for joining me this week on the Macworld Podcast. Podcast.